you're going to save yourself thousands, maybe tens of thousands over the life of your insurance policy if you secure coverage while you're in training. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to episode 197 of APM Success. This week, with the end of the academic year, right around the corner, I'm going to be talking about financial considerations for wrapping up training soon. So this discussion is going to be geared towards residents and fellows who are getting ready to either move to another fellowship or into attending hood. Before I dive into today's content, a couple quick announcements. First, an item for your calendar. In July, I'm going to be at the Aspen Conference. That's the American Society of Pain and Neuroscience. And if you're going to be there, let me know, and I would love to get you on the list for an event that I'll be organizing for friends and listeners, either a happy hour or dinner, TBD. Feel free to email me at justin at apmsuccess.com, and we can keep you apprised of those event details. Secondly, something that I have created at a significant expenditure of effort and have very poorly promoted is an ebook which is called the Freedom Formula for Pain Management Physicians. And it's essentially an aggregation of a bunch of important principles and a case study built in for a physician who's making important career decisions and trying to think through the big moving parts to assess as those changes are happening. So if you didn't know that this existed, head on over to the show notes apmsuccess.com slash 197. I'm going to post a link to the ebook there. It's a free download. If you're thinking about changing jobs or wondering if you're doing everything you can be in terms of building wealth, I share a lot of the best practices from the financial advisory practice and the way that I work with some of my clients and you'll get some good ideas there. So check that out at apmsuccess.com slash 197. Finally, for this week, this week's content, the academic year coming to an end, what types of things should you be thinking about as you're getting ready for a job transition? Maybe you're changing states. You're definitely changing jobs. Maybe you're changing paychecks and moving from that resident or fellow salary up to attending compensation. There's a handful of important planning opportunities that exist for physicians in this circumstance. And I'm going to cover five of them, five key planning considerations for somebody who's wrapping up the academic year and moving to attending hood. First, it is a good opportunity right now, and generally it's true for a month or two after the end of training, but would encourage you to just do this as soon as possible, is to review your disability insurance coverage. If you're a resident and fellow, particularly if you're about to be an attending and you don't have a personal disability policy right now, this is a great time to get one. And there is a limited window in which you can get special discounts. Often, uh, residency and fellowship programs will have special negotiated rates with certain carriers sometimes, but you'll get an in-training discount. So you'll get a 10 or 20 or sometimes 30% discount, sometimes more, sometimes there's crazy deals out there for your disability insurance coverage. So if you get hurt and that injury or sickness is going to last a duration of months or more, this is the coverage, the protection, the insurance that's going to allow you to continue to have some income during your time of injury or sickness. And the really nice thing about getting this 
insurance in place before you leave training is that discount is applied to your current coverage of five or $6,000 a month. And ultimately to whenever you scale that coverage up to 10, 15 or $20,000 a month, and your premium gets multiplied by two or three or four, the discounts that you secure today will be applied to those new increases in coverage. So you're going to save yourself thousands, maybe tens of thousands over the life of your insurance policy if you secure coverage while you're in training. So I have a couple friends and associates with whom I collaborate closely on those disability policies. Many of them are, or several of them are friends of the show and have been guests. So if you need a good broker recommendation, feel free to shoot me an email. Definitely recommend reviewing your long-term disability insurance before you leave training. The second financial consideration for this time of transition between training and attending hood is it's a good idea to do what I call a big rocks budget. So you may have heard the the illustration of in your life, you've got you got the jar and that represents all the time that you have. And if you've got big rocks and then you've got gravel and you got sand, if you want the big rocks to fit in the jar, you got to put them in first so that you can see the space around the rocks for everything else. A couple of big rocks that I've identified in a transitioning attending is the housing cost, the car cost, and the student loan payments. These are three big items that most, especially when you're going from residency or fellowship to attending hood, all three of these are going to be in play for you. And these are going to be, generally speaking, the biggest financial commitments that you have. So if you right size these purchases or these leases and make sure that they're not too big based on the expected amount of income you're going to have, and you put them in your budget first, you can then fill in around them very comfortably to accommodate financial progress. Because ultimately, the way that I try to help my clients and friends think about this, think about financial wherewithal, is you've got to allocate money for wealth building first. And one of the best ways to do that is to identify these big items, housing, car, and loans, and target a fixed percentage of your gross pay in order to leave money for the rest. So what I propose, and there's different ways to do this and it always depends, but one of the rules of thumb that I start with at times is 30% of gross pay for these three big rocks. For your housing, for your car, and for your loans, 30%. So to use round numbers, if you're making $360,000 a year, that's $30,000 a month. Now this is gross, so you're gonna pay taxes from this 30,000, but go with me here for a second with this example. If you make 30,000 a month and $10,000 a month can go to these three items. So 30% of your gross pay, $30,000 a month, roughly $10,000 a month can go to housing, car, and loans. So, you know, to just put numbers to this, if you're renting an apartment or a house and it costs you $5,000, that leaves another $5,000 a month for car and loans. So if your student loan budget, once your income-driven repayment kicks in, and I'm talking about loans, like a long-term average payment amount on your loans. So if you're going for forgiveness, if you're doing PSLF, if you're on an income-driven plan, once you have your income reset to your attending rate, you might be paying two, $3,000 on those student loan payments. If you're going to refinance and aggressively pay down your loans, it might be more than that. So this is the real sort of, uh, I'll call it the 
the consideration that where is some flexibility exists because if you're coming out with your fellow amount of income most recently certified and i've got clients that have paid zero you know for the last few years because you know in march 2020 when president trump had the student loan hiatus nobody's paid anything since then and many of these clients are now coming back into repayment with that resident or fellow payment level of a couple hundred bucks a month that they had back in march of 2020 but what I want you to think about is that's not going to happen for forever. Once your income is recertified, that $300 a month payment is going to go to $3,000 a month, potentially, if you're now an attendant. So you need to build that in. So if you've got $5,000 on your house, you've got $3,000 on your loans. I mean, I don't think you should spend $2,000 a month on a car lease. That'll get you a pretty darn nice car. But if you triangulate towards this level of compensation, of, um, expenditure as a percentage of your total comp, that will leave enough cash to do other things. So if 30% of your gross pay is going towards housing, car, and loans, that leaves 70% to do other things with. Now, 30 of that 70 is, at least is going to be going to taxes. Probably in some states, it's 40. It depends on how much money you make and if your spouse earns, etc. But then that leaves another, you know, 30%-ish for saving, for the luxury spending, other variable expenses, things like that. Another rule of thumb that applies here is I, I tell all of my clients a 30% savings rate, meaning 30% of your gross pay going towards wealth building activities, either paying debt or investing. If you're doing 30%, I say that that is somebody who's has a very high priority set on financial independence. 20% shows that you're serious about it. 10% shows that you value the trade-offs and you want to expand your lifestyle a little bit more today to have a life that you and your family want and other things that are important to you besides investment and debt pay down, which is fine. But you're going to have to work longer and you're going to have other ways in which you're more financially constrained. So that is the context in which this big rocks budget can be useful. Targeting that 10 to 30% savings window and the closer to 30 and beyond you are the more I would say that is a physician that really is prioritizing financial independence. So it's a good time to think about it as a fellow, if you're wrapping up, if you're, you know, if you're going to have a rental expense of six, $7,000 a month, especially if you're in a high cost of living area, that really pinches you in terms of the cash that you can throw at other priorities. That was number two, doing the big rocks budget before moving. The third thing that I suggest all of my clients think about as you're transitioning is, and I've said this before on the show, celebrate in a one-time fashion, meaning spend money in a celebratory, commemorative way that is a discrete event with a beginning and an end point and doesn't have a monthly payment attached. If you can do this, it's going to make item number two a lot easier, the big rocks budget. Because if you're celebrating in a way that is an $800 a month payment, or more for a vehicle or something like that. At a time when you have other competing priorities, it's usually not necessary in terms of creating the celebratory and commemorative moment that you're looking for, but it is something that is going to inhibit your financial progress in other ways. Obviously, it depends on your priorities and without creating endless caveats, I would just say it's great to respect and acknowledge and fulfill that reflex to celebrate, but doing it in a way that gets you 90% of the experience 
and doesn't have ongoing costs is always recommended. The fourth thing to consider, number four when you're transitioning from training to attending hood is if you need life insurance or other risk protection infrastructure, I'll call it, but you don't already have it in many cases due to cost because when you're making 60 to $75,000 a year and if you have kids especially and there's, you know, it's, it's tougher to do all of the things at that level of income, this is a good time to consider augmenting coverage. And here's why. When you move towards car payments, mortgage payments, and you have an expanding lifestyle, this is especially true if you have a, a spouse and kids, your financial vulnerability increases significantly. So right now, if you're listening to this and you're a fellow, more than likely the next 12 months are going to see, you know, right or wrong, are going to see some level of expansion of your lifestyle. And in most cases, that's totally appropriate because there's so much deferred gratification built into the journey of a physician. We won't go all into that. But as you do expand your lifestyle, you want to make sure that the risk protections that you've built in your residency and fellowship are sufficient to protect that financial vulnerability. So if you're going to buy a house, if you're going to have car payments, if you do have just more fixed expenses that happen in your life, then you want to make sure that the life insurance that you got when you were a CA1 is still sufficient to care for your spouse and kids if, God forbid, you got hit by a bus tomorrow. Because often this time of financial inflection creates expanding needs and it's not by default built in that the protections are going to expand with them. So look at the life insurance that you have and look at the years of expenses. There's a number of, a number of rules of thumb to evaluate the suitability of that, but 10 times your gross income is one way to ballpark the amount of life insurance that you could have. There's another one called the dime method, which is a calculation that accounts for your debt and education expenses. And I'll throw it, there's some good literature around that method that I'll throw in the show notes, apmsuccess.com slash 197. If you're wondering, how do I even begin to figure out how much life insurance I need? That's a good one. And then this is related to item number five, the other risk protection components that sometimes when you're a resident or fellow, they feel like a luxury. And I'm talking about an estate plan. I'm talking about property and casualty limits. So your auto, your renters, and your umbrella policy. And then finally, having a fully funded emergency fund. This is a good time to think about these things, especially if you got a signing bonus, you've got a little extra cash. The stakes do get higher in each of these areas. If we look at property and casualty limits, for example, there's a big difference in the limits on an auto policy between the minimum required limits, which many residents carry in my observation, just because it's cheapest, and between what I recommend for an attending physician. And this could be a several fold increase in cost. And perhaps in the past, it's been a little bit of a reach, especially if you're in a high cost of living area and there's a lot of stuff going on in terms of other expenses that you have. But look at your underlying insurance limits and make sure that the risk protections that you have in place are commensurate with your level of income and your assets and the expanding needs that you have. So it's a perfect opportunity to go to a property and casualty broker and say, hey, I need to shop my auto policy, my renter's policy. my And if many times you don't have an umbrella policy, an umbrella liability policy is the coverage that sits on top of the general liability of your renters or homeowners. And that's like 
my dog bit my neighbor's kid and they had to go get stitches and now they're suing me for all this money. That's where your umbrella policy is going to kick in. Or I'm in a car accident and there is a judgment in excess of the underlying policy limits, either because of a medical injury or property damage or something like that. So the umbrella coverage gets you that extra layer of protection. Often residents and fellows don't think about it and don't care, and that's fine. But it's pretty cheap coverage, somewhere between one and $300 per year for a million dollars of coverage. And it's one of those things that tends to fall to the bottom of the pile. But this is a perfect opportunity to revisit your property and casualty insurance and start to put some of those pieces in place. So that's all I've got for today. I'm going to um, list some other useful resources for physicians who are in this place, this time of thinking about these financial transition questions. So check out the show notes, apmsuccess.com slash 197. As always, thank you for your time and I'll catch you next week. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.